Welcome once again to We Muse Aloud, an audio documentary series if you will. It's a podcast where anonymous voices share their thoughts on a theme within a dreamscape of music and ambient sound. This episode's theme is danger. All of our contributing voices tell stories of times where they found themselves in a state of some sort of danger, and there is quite a variety of dangerous flavors contained herein. Should there be trigger warnings? Please be advised that you will hear about anxiety, risky driving, being stalked by a wild animal, being lost in the forest in winter, arrest, incarceration, and some very bad decisions. As always, We Muse Aloud is best enjoyed by headphones. If you feel ready, and your parachute is properly strapped on, approach the cargo bay door. Don't be afraid. When you jump, just remember to count to three, and pull the cord. Episode 13. Danger. The type of danger I was in, I, it was one of the only moments in my life where I was so unbelievably afraid that the, what I had done to myself, uh, the damage was irreparable. Um, I didn't think I'd be myself again, and that was scary. The kind where when your dad's scared, you know you're fucked. Uh, death by car. It was the most visceral sense of like physical danger, I would say. I like. Yeah, I, it felt like I was in danger, like my life was in danger. I was in a danger. Definitely, it felt like I was in psychological danger, some sort of psychological danger, because I had promised, first of all, not to get caught by police. So I was felt the fear once the police had stopped me. That's where the danger started. And then I took myself into physical danger uh, shortly after that. <laughs> so I have always, a part of my personality and sort of the part of me that like I know very well um, is sort of characterized by anxiety, um, OCD, and I just sort of live with this and that's fine. Um, I, it manifests itself in itchiness and also sort of anxiety-induced vertigo. Uh, this past summer, I had gone back to the camp in Vermont that I really love, and I had been hanging out there for a week, completely disconnected, um, able to see my kids grow up and sort of be a part of that life that I had lived in my early 20s. And coming back on the drive, it's a nine-hour drive, I started feeling very dizzy. Um, I thought it was just because I had drunk a lot of coffee. But a couple of days after I got back, I realized that it wasn't going away. And it was dizziness to the extent where I was having trouble standing for long periods of time. Um, the anxiety was just ridiculous. Um, I was itchy all the time. I was having trouble sort of maintaining focus. I had to cancel like um, a big training that I had to do. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on. So I basically desperate, I went to my doctor and I said, this is all, these are all the things that are happening. I don't know what to do. And she sort of saw the desperation, but decided then, um, 
to medicate me. And I had never chosen, and I want to sort of make it clear that I understand that that's the route that a lot of people take, and I fully support that. Uh, for me, it was always something that I, I had sort of shied away from just because I didn't know how that was going to affect me, but I was very, very desperate, so I said fine. Um, and the dosage was one a day and um, just sort of went into it. Um, after three days, I realized that something was extremely wrong. Everything that I'd been feeling before um, was just elevated, but all of the same impulses were there. I just was so sort of like comatose to the extent that I couldn't actually act on the impulses, which made me even more anxious. And so I, uh, it just got worse and worse. Um, Tom was having, like, I was having to sort of navigate through that with him watching, which was even worse as well too, because he couldn't do anything to help. Um, and I basically just like didn't want to go through my day. Um, I got so terrified that I had put something inside me that couldn't, um, that wouldn't ever go away and that I realized it was the first time that all of the things that I um, had sort of been really irritated at myself growing up, um, the dizziness, the itchiness, all, the OCD, it was the first time that I missed being me um, because I had made a decision not thinking out of desperation that could have um, really sort of messed me up a long time, uh, for a long time. So I put very dramatically um, all of the pills into the toilet and flushed them. Um, and that was sort of my, like, I'm not gonna do this again and sort of waited it out. Um, and luckily the itchiness is back, the OCD is back, everything is back to normal or my normal. Um, but that was uh, something that I won't ever try again. <laughs> yeah. Well, my father's a proud man, <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we liked to do a lot of outdoor sports because um, we grew up in Kenora, Ontario, and it's very snowy, kind of perma-winter a lot of the time. And so we went uh, cross-country skiing, my, my dad, my mom, and I, and um, my mom uh, wanted to take the sort of shorter route because, um, you know, she's got knee trouble, and uh, I wanted to go with my dad and didn't want to be caught saying I didn't want to do the long manly route. So like, I was about 11, and I was like definitely doing the, the big long one with my dad. But we go, and uh, the sun starts going down, and uh, my dad kept going like, I think, uh, I think we're getting close, I think we're getting close. And then he started saying it more and more, and so the frequency alerted me to like, oh, this guy's scared. Like, there's a problem, and we crossed a lake, and we were getting so cold and tired, we were just dragging our feet. Uh, and, you know, I started to lose, like, feelings in my hands and feet, and I imagine my dad probably did too. Uh, and then just when I was starting to think, like, I don't think I can go on anymore, um, we see the light from the, the lodge, the ski lodge, and we get there, my mom is in tears, um, rightfully so, um, because she had been waiting there for, like, about an hour past when we were supposed to meet up. And, you know, like I said, it was dark, and, uh, and so, Everyone at the lodge was like so glad to see us because they were mounting a search party. Uh, and so they, they took me and they wrapped me in a blanket, they got me hot cocoa. Um, you know, they were treating me for basically I got hypothermia and, and my dad did too. And so it was like down to the wire. Um, 
and yeah, I'll just, uh, my dad's a pretty cool cucumber, so when when I started to see him getting scared, that kind of nervous energy of like, it's 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 close now, I know I know it's close. I was like, we're, we're in trouble, man. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm in Cuba with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and we decide, oh, oh, because all these couples doing the very touristy thing of like getting the moped and driving in the Veradero and I don't know, like I, even though it's set in like Europe, I'm thinking like, it's like talented Mr. Ripley and I'm like Jude Law or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, oh, this will be very, I don't know. Do you have a fedora? Yeah, exactly. I have a fedora, precisely. Actually, at one point earlier on, we did ride some donkeys, uh, which was just kind of the saddest experience of my life. Those poor donkeys are miserable. And they, and you're like, oh, I'll ride the donkey into the sunset, but it, it's no, it's, it's on a track and it's malnourished. Anyway, that's not related to the danger. Uh, okay, so we're, we decide we're gonna do this touristy thing and we're gonna get mopeds. Uh, and all they need to see is a license, and that's it, and you can get a moped. Uh, so we get on, and we, I, and uh, my girlfriend's on the back, and I gun it, because it, it'll go up this hill, because it's this big hill, and I have to kind of gun it to get up to the top. But it starts veering to the left, and no matter how hard I try, the thing won't go it, like stay in the right lane and the faster I go the farther it veers and then we get to the top of the hill and there's a car like maybe 20 feet away heading right for us so I can't get it back onto the right side of the road so I have to like turn it all the way to the left and go into the ditch and basically crash the thing into the ditch and the car honks at us and drives off now that was pretty close to where we had rented the thing. And I basically almost just killed us, because that would have that would have been, we both would have flown, flown off that thing. And I still have nightmares about that. Um, but instead, we decide to keep going. Maybe it's because I'm a man, and I can't admit when I'm incapable of doing something, and my pride gets in the way. So we keep driving, and I have to go really slow on it, otherwise it just veers into the next lane because the alignment's off. So we have to get onto the highway to get to Veradero. And at one point, there's a truck in front of us, there's a truck behind us, and there's a truck behind us. And they're all like honking at me because they're pissed off because I'm going so slow. And I'm, and I'm just shaky, like I'm just trying to keep this thing on, on the road. I don't know how, because I had to veer right to get off, and we somehow managed to get into Veradero, and I just found the first place I could park it and parked it. And then we were supposed to have this nice day of walking around and driving around Veradero, but we just walked around, and I, all I could think about was that I have to drive this thing back, uh, which was just terrifying, because I, ba I basically almost just killed my girlfriend. Uh, so I'm having a miserable time in Veradero. I think we do like a horse-drawn carriage. Tourists, tourists. <laughs> but it's terrible. I, I hated the whole thing because I knew I had to drive back. So when we finally do, 
and my girlfriend is like, she's like, it's okay, we'll go really slow, it'll be fine, we'll be okay. Uh, we get on the highway, and it's a miracle. There's not a car in sight for the whole time we have to get back. I don't see one car, and this time at least we have to drive left, so it veers into the right way that we want it to go. The whole time I was like, like, like shaking, keeping it straight. Uh, yeah, and then we finally got, and it probably went, like, I don't know anything about, I've never driven a moped in my life. So maybe I'm doing something that is wrong, or maybe my girlfriend is leaning to the left the whole time. I doubt it, but it seemed like immediately this thing, like, I, I'm pretty sure someone had crashed it at, at some point, and they just go, eh, we'll fix it, and it's fine. Um, Anyway, we finally got it back there and we were alive. And then it was just, I think I probably had five drinks when I got back and I will never ride a moped in a foreign country ever again. So it was uh, like, I think two weeks before I did my big biking trip to Toronto. Um, I was riding uh, to see my friend who lives about 80 kilometers south of Revelstoke. Um, just for, uh, you know, try out my gear and stuff. And I was riding along this, the one road down to her place. And, you know, I was getting tired and like feeling not like I'd made a good decision. <laughs> but, and then I had this sense of like, I can't get off my bike right now. I just have to keep riding my bike. And I didn't know where that thought came from. It was just like, just don't stop pedaling. And then I kind of paid more attention to what was going on around me and I realized that I couldn't hear the birds anymore. There was no more animal sounds. And it was like every single hair on my body was on end. And I knew that like, it was just like, do not stop, whatever you do. And I was looking around though, being like, why, why is this other voice in my head being like, nope, just keep going, just go, go, go. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing. So I just kept riding and like, I rode as hard as I could, which, I was going through a mountain pass, so not that hard. Um, and then like, I had to take a ferry, so I got to the ferry and I was like, okay, I'm safe. Um, and that was, and I you know, met up with my friend, stayed over at her place. The next day was riding back and I got to the same section of highway um, that I had been like, oh, like this is where I was so afraid yesterday. And it's like, what? you know, why don't I feel that now? And then I looked and on the, um, in the ditch, there was a bunch of crows in the ditch. I was like, oh, that's weird. They weren't like, what's going on? And so as I was riding past, um, there was a, a deer carcass that it was like clearly like day old, like, you know, it wasn't, it was still fairly fresh, but not like super fresh. And I was like, oh, so I was in, like I was on the menu for like a mountain cat. Um, and it would it chose the deer rather than me. Like, and one of the things, and so in talking to people who like live out in BC, that was, I like told that story of like, I just was really afraid and like didn't know why. And they were like, oh, that was probably a mountain cat that was like stalking you for a bit. And that, so the birds were quiet because they were aware of it? Yeah, I think so. Like that seemed to be, and it was just like, and that was like, and I didn't have, and one of the things that I had been told repeatedly when I was living in BC, like, you know, once you see like a mountain lion or a mountain cat, like you're already dead. Like that's like, once you've seen the cat, you're already like, it's too late. 
Um, so I was really lucky that I didn't see it. But it was like, I didn't have, I've never had an experience where I didn't have an explanation for like, there were other times when I've been biking where I've been like, wow, this feels dangerous. There's a big truck or like, you know, this is not a great part of town and it kind of doesn't feel safe. But I've never felt like, I don't know, my body was in such danger and it was like this totally other part of me took over and was like, nope, this is not a good spot to like wait and stop. Like, well, in living in the city, like I've grown up in the city, so it was really like, I've never felt that before or since or like, um, it, it was completely foreign to me. And like, it was like, at first I thought I was like, just going crazy like it was just like no this is silly like why like Kate you're just being paranoid or like oh it's just like some spooky forest <laughs> but no no it was like it was clear like no something was hunting while I was like while I was on my bike and it was like you know even if it wasn't me specifically that was going to be lunch and it was actually hunting the deer I was definitely like in consideration for um or like, presumably I was in consideration for being lunch that day, so. This is the long, this is the, the long part of the story, but it starts with a van called the Child of God, who I think Nikki Pollard at the time owned the Child of God, and was and I borrowed the Child of God because of Guh, another part of the story, but specifically this is Bram Crichton, the trombone player. I had to drive him to the East End after a Guh show and was driving across Dundas and Young when the police stopped me and they came up and said I had a broken taillight. And they gave me a ticket, it's there, it was something like 1996, and they said, you have to replace this within 48 hours, and where's your insurance and license? And I couldn't find the insurance because it wasn't my van, and so they gave me another ticket and said, you gotta give us that in 48 hours. And so I went back, no problem. Todd Gallant, a good friend at, at, at the warehouse, fixed the taillight. Nikki Pollard, of course, told me where the insurance was. So I went to the 14 division, no problem. They said, it's been 52 hours, not 48 hours, and you still have to pay 200 bucks each for these tickets. And I was, uh, in 1996, I guess I was 24, and I didn't have 200 bucks plus 200 bucks. And so I said, fuck you, in my mind, to the police. And, uh, and then I didn't think about it. I just drove around and drove around. And then a couple of years later, I was going down to work at the prop house, uh, Queen and Dufferin it was at the time, and came around the corner and the rabbit I was driving stalled, and this was my future wife's mom's car. And so I stalled and then I, uh, I got out and I was looking at the engine and a police car showed up. And he said, you guys having a problem? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, just stalled. Maybe we need some oil. He goes, oh, okay. Well, let me see your license and registration. So I gave it to him. And he went to his car, he came back, and he goes, uh, your license is suspended for unpaid fines. And I was like, I had no idea about that. And he goes, oh, I think you do. And you know, what are you trying to pull? Let me, and this, he looked at my registration and it was Laudan's mom's registration and her name is, Shuku Shahabi, and he said, what kind of name is this? And I said, it's an Iranian name. And he looked at me and said, you look more like a cunning Jew. And in my mind, I thought, 
what? what? And then I said, are you allowed to say that? <laughs> and this guy was Japanese Canadian as far as I could, I don't know what the fuck he's asking me. If I, and then telling, I was like, there are Jews in Iran, you know that. Maybe not so many anymore, but first of all, your statement is stupid and then it's stupider. And so anyways, I came. And he says, come with me to the car. And he goes to the car and he phones into his station. He, he calls in there and he goes, I got this guy, Blake Howard, here who says he has no idea that his license is suspended. And he calls in, the woman goes away, comes back and she goes, oh, yeah, he was never sent a letter. And I was like, see? And he goes, huh, I don't care. And he gave me a $600 fine for driving under suspension. And so I thought, fuck you, police. <laughs> Again, a stupid mind uh, saying, screw you. And uh, so I didn't think about it anymore. I was like, stupid police, I don't care. And I drove like a stupid idiot with no license for four years or something, more years. It came up to 2002, many crazy things had happened. Um, my wife, who I was about to marry a month after this crazy incident happened, this was uh, August of 2002, she had told me to get my license many times. Go get your license. I'm like, I don't have the money. And you know, one time we were pulled over in uh, Maine and the officer said, let me see your license. And I showed him my library card. And uh, she was like, what? Are you? And then, but then some car passed with two people like screwing in the car, some bizarre thing. He goes, you're really lucky this time. And he took off after them. And uh, so I got away. But anyway, so it comes to August 2002. I got to go play a jazz festival in Lakefield outside of Peterborough uh, with Maureen Kennedy. And I and Jason Kennedy <laughs> definitely was there. And, uh, and uh, so I'm leaving to go on this. And LaDan, my wife, f future wife, she says, whatever you do, don't get caught by the police. And I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to get caught by the police. What are you talking about? And so I go. And I play the festival. And I have maybe two beers over the space of five hours. No problem. And I'm walking around the festival and I go, oh, I think it's time to leave. So I get in the car and I'm driving back towards Peterborough and I go over this bridge and the, the road changes to a one-way street going back towards me but, and I miss the cutoff to go onto the actual road I'm supposed to go on. But I immediately recognize that I'm on a one-way street and pull into a driveway. But there's a police officer waiting for people to do shit like that. And so the lights come on and my panic rises through my whole body. Oh my God, the police, I have no license. I am in the middle of darkness in Peterborough. So I think of what to do, what can I do? I'm gonna pretend to be my brother Richard. My brother Richard lives in Indianapolis. They can never look him up. Police comes, says, can I see your license and registration? And I say, uh, I don't have my license because I was at this jazz festival today and it was stolen or I misplaced it, so I have no wallet. But my name is Richard Howard. And Richard Howard later, when he heard this story, said, what are you doing all the time? But anyways, I say, I'm Richard Howard. And, uh, and he goes, okay, well, uh, let me just check it out. I say, you know, I'm from Indianapolis. I'm doing this jazz festival. He goes back and he, he 
comes back and he goes, oh, I have no record of this. I can't really do anything. Can you step out of your car? And I was like, oh, man, okay. And he goes, blow, blow into this breathalyzer. And I blew into it. No, I was like not even worn. I was totally fine. And he goes, well, we got to impound your car. And I have a tow truck driver who can come. And I've got a hotel room for you. And I was like, what? That's some weird scam of the Peterborough police. And, uh, and I, was, I was just thinking, I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home. I just kept thinking that over my mind. And so the tow truck driver shows up. He's this guy, regular guy, tow truck driver, giant beard. And he is like, okay, we'll load up the car. And he drives me to the pound. And he puts the car down outside of the actual pound and says, do you need anything from your car? And I said, yeah, my drums are all in there. And he handed me the keys, to which my demented mind said, he's giving me the keys so I can get out of here. So I get in the car, start it up, this Toyota Corolla, and drive away into Nowheresville, uh, Peterborough. I don't know where I am, of course. I'm somewhere, dark. I just start driving. My heart is pounding unbelievably. There are sounds in my head from the, uh, the amount of adrenaline. Sounds start going in your head. They sound like police sirens. But they're not police sirens yet. They're just like you driving and the sound of your head going. And I'm driving, I'm turning corners. I'm in the back, I'm going, where could the 401 be? The 401 has gotta be somewhere, but not anywhere close to Peterborough yet. I gotta get on like Highway 35 or something. I gotta get out to some highway. And I start driving, I start driving, I start driving. And then I hear actual police sirens coming from each direction, three directions all around me. I'm going, oh no. And I turn into a driveway again. These guys get out. They're yelling, what the fuck are you doing? Rip me out of the car. Slam my head onto the front of the car. Slam my body onto the ground. Punch me on the ground. Slam me back in the car. What are you doing? I just kept going, relax. Don't tell the police to relax. They, I, apparently I'm resisting arrest. Stop resisting, they're telling me. And they're hitting me and throwing me on the ground. And there's photo evidence of this from later. Anyways, and they, anyways, they finally stopped doing this to me. And they get me in the back of the car and they're like, what is your name? And I still say I'm Richard Howard. And they go to my car and they find my wallet, of course, and they go, We've got this wallet that says uh, Blake Howard on it. I said, yeah, that's my brother. That's his car. I've been using his car. And they're like, all right, you're coming to the station. And I'm like, yeah, we're, uh, we'll go to the station. This Now I'm really in just like a post-panic in like total non-knowing kind of world of like, oh, this is awful. And so they take me to the whatever police station is in downtown Peterborough and take me downstairs, look at me a lot and say, okay, well, this number is this uh, Blake Howard's number, and they phone it. And LaDan is coming from a party, apparently. She's coming up the stairs, and the phone rings in our house. And she's like, oh, weird. And they, and they get on there and go, so we got this guy Richard Howard on here. And she's like, oh, no. So she plays, she's like, okay, Richard Howard. And then she's kind of playing along, and then she's like, I can't do this anymore. Okay, so you have Blake Howard. This, I can't play this stupid game anymore. This is Blake Howard. And so they come back and go, all right, Blake, this is you. And what were you doing? And I said, this is an outrageous story, but this is why I did what I did. And they're looking at me and they're like, okay, you got to go in the 
jail cell. We don't care about your stupid story about what you think about the police. And you, so you guys spend overnight in jail. And I'm just like panicking more because now Laudan has got to somehow, or I have to somehow get back to Toronto the next day. And the, anyways, there's a couple of guys screaming and yelling all night. And then the next day, after, I don't ever want to be in jail because I didn't like it at all. I've been in jail once before, but I was kind of drunk out of my mind and with a friend that when you're by yourself and not drunk, it's not very funny at all, even for three hours or whatever. So I have to spend six or seven hours till the daylight comes and the judge is there so I can go and get this recognizance of bail. Laudan got her friend Shannon Doyle to drive out there with Terry McGurin and these, all these people. They come, come out to Peterborough and this guy gives me 2000 I have to pay $2,000. Uh, I couldn't pay $2,000, but they give me recognizance of bail. I'm allowed to leave, but I got to come back to Peterborough to go to court. And I'm not allowed to go to Peterborough ever again other than to go to court and never allowed to purchase alcohol in Peterborough, that's part of it. Even though in the police report it says I didn't blow over or anything, I don't know why this was another bizarre part of it. And uh, so, you know, I go back home. I get driven back home and then it all ends up, I have this uh, legal aid lawyer, Dennis Lowry, giant guy. And I, I go to Peterborough once and my case doesn't get called, so I just watch other old men get caught for marijuana possession and girls getting in trouble for pouring water on their boyfriend's heads and stuff like that. And then I, and I get back and finally my case is called up there and Dennis Lowry says, uh, don't worry, the judge knows Ronnie Hawkins. Because Ronnie Hawkins, the hawk, lives near Peterborough. And so I get in front of the judge and he looks at me and goes, what were you doing that night? Whatever it was, don't do that again. And he gave me only $200 fines for each thing. Personation is one of them. And uh, uh, resisting arrest is the other one. But yes, and in it, like I say, in light of all the revelations, I would have been shot three times at least for each of those things that I did. First of all, broken taillight. I would have been shot, weren't I some white Blake Howard cunning Jew Iranian, whatever that I was. Uh, yeah, uh, driving under suspension, probably shot under the Dufferin Bridge. Definitely stealing my own car, shot a number of times rather than just beat up. So, you know, I don't know what this story is about anymore. It used to be about being like, Hey, I'm a little bit of a lunatic and the police are brutal. Now it's more sinister and it's like, man, I, I'm on the edge of death and I shouldn't act like that. Anyway, that's it. I told you there would be bad decisions. This episode's contributing voices were Emily Foster, Tom Arthur Davis, Kate McDonnell, Glyn Bowerman, and Blake Howard. 
If you enjoy We Muse Aloud, it would be wonderful if you could spread the word. A podcast's audience only grows through word of mouth, and our audience hasn't grown much at all. Tell all your friends. Tell a whole bunch. You can subscribe to We Muse Aloud on iTunes, where you can rate and review the program. Like us at facebook.com slash We Muse Aloud, and follow us on Twitter at We Muse Aloud. Should we end this episode with a quote? Helen Keller wrote, Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold.